Will the vaccine aimed at stopping the COVID virus do more harm than good for most people? Why is a manufacturer with a shady background in charge of making vaccines for three major designers? Is the vaccine an excuse to run an identification nanochip into the human system? Why would the World Health Organization support a dangerous plan that puts the profits of a big pharmaceutical corporations above the welfare of billions? This week, as millions of people adapt to further restrictions and as the COVID pandemic deepens, they are increasingly looking forward to a vaccine that authorities are saying is the only way back to a pre-pandemic way of life. This episode of the Global Research News Hour takes a detailed look with several observers into the plans to immunize the entire population of Earth and where that's bound to lead us. In our first half hour, we get the opinions of our past guests, Sushar Bhakti, Meryl Nass, and Docs for an open debate about how the vaccine is ill-advised. Then, in our second half, Peter Koenig explains that the virus is not only dangerous, but a scheme that would leave us far more vulnerable to the deep, dark state. On this week's program, Coronavirus, a second look, part four, the Trojan vaccine, a challenge to health and freedom. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of October 16th, 2020. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabe Gakin, the homeland of the Métis Nation in the historical territory of the Nahiawak and the Nakota. We seek to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today, from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website, globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. If masks don't stop infection, yet cause known and probable harms, what's the point of wearing them? What motive would governments have for mandating them? In their new book, Drs. Karina Rice, Ph.D., and Dr. Susharit Bhakti, Ph.D., provide one possibility. Quote, In fact, there is no study to even suggest that it makes any sense for healthy individuals to wear masks in public. One might suspect that the only political reason for enforcing the measure is to foster fear in the population. Unquote. That comes from the article, Primary purpose of mandatory masking is to foster fear, say acclaimed researchers, by John C.A. Manley, posted October 15th. Although the White House has issued guidelines through the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, Trump routinely ignores the wearing of masks and the necessity of social distancing. After contracting the virus, the president was given an early detection test and experimental treatments which are not available to the majority working and oppressed peoples in general. Considering the population and economic status of Africa in comparison to other regions of the world, 
medical experts, social scientists, and journalists are seeking explanations of the disparity in rates of infection and deaths. Some of the analysis centers on the relative youthful nature of the African people, where those under 30 years of age make up a substantial portion of the population in most AU member states. Others have attempted to claim that the low numbers are a result of the lack of testing capability across the continent. That comes from the article, Africa Battles COVID-19 Pandemic Effectively, by Abiyomi Azikiwe, posted October 15th. That the Army, the Defense Department, and the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, have been investigating the potential for replacing human crews with command and control, or C2, systems powered by artificial intelligence, or AI, on naval vessels is no secret. In April 2016, DARPA announced the initial launch of the Sea Hunter, a 132 Tremarin designed to patrol the Kai Seas in search of enemy submarines with no humans aboard. A similar initiative, with the suggestive name Ghost Fleet Overlord, was conducted by the Strategic Capabilities Office of the Office of the Secretary of Defense in 2018 and 2019. Both efforts sought to explore the possibilities of combining commercially available hulls and hardware with cutting-edge computer software to enable uncrewed vessels to navigate themselves and perform a variety of military missions. For Navy leaders, the deployment of unmanned vessels is thought to have many advantages. That comes from the article, Command C2 Systems Powered by Artificial Intelligence. The Pentagon's AI ghost fleet is more than just scary, it's unwise by Michael T. Clare, posted October 15th, originally published at Responsible Statecraft. The U.S. and maybe Britain would very much like to draw Iran into the NK conflict. If fighting spills into its territory, its forces might respond in self-defense, giving the U.S. and U.K. a pretext to terror-bomb Iranian targets. On Wednesday, Armenia's defense ministry accused Azerbaijan of striking military equipment in its territory. Saying Armenian forces reserve the right to respond in kind against an Azeri military facility risks expanding conflict to the territory of both countries. Under this scenario, Russia could get involved to defend its CSTO-partnered state, potentially drawing the U.S., U.K., and other NATO countries into the conflict, Turkey as well, more directly. That comes from the article, Turkey allied with Azerbaijan against Armenia in Nagorno-Karabakh by Stephen Lendman, posted October 15th. A new report from the Arms and Security Program at the Center for International Policy, which I co-authored, underscores just how stunningly the U.S. dominates the Middle Eastern weapons market. According to data from the Arms Transfer Database, compiled by the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, 
In the period from 2015 to 2019, the United States accounted for 48% of major weapons deliveries to the Middle East and North Africa, or, as that vast region is sometimes known acronymically, MENA. Those figures leave deliveries from the next largest suppliers in the dust. They represent nearly three times the arms Russia supplied to MENA, five times what France contributed, ten times what the United Kingdom exported, and sixteen times China's contribution. In other words, we have met the prime weapons proliferator in the Middle East and North Africa, and it is U.S. That comes from the article, The U.S. of Arms, The Art of the Weapons Deal in the Age of Trump, by William D. Hartung. Posted October 15th, originally published at Tom Dispatch. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. Before I begin the program this week, I wanted to mention the line by the executive director at the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons in which she stated her belief that the physician and senator, Scott Jensen, was being investigated by the medical board for prescribing a medication called hydroxychloroquine. The doctor and senator were in fact being investigated for his public comments about COVID-19 and his accusation that the death toll due to COVID might increase in order to secure more funding for hospitals from the federal government. So apologies to anyone who may have been misled by that factual letter. Over the past three issues of this series, we have been sharing information from reputable experts in the fields of epidemiology and immunization. These facts involve numbers of cases growing as a result of more numerous tests as opposed to actual growing numbers. That the standard PCR test is not 100% accurate and can deliver the result of false positives and that every person who is diagnosed with COVID and then dies is accused of dying from COVID, even if they died from other causes. These doctors are saying that far from being a killer like the Spanish flu, reliable tests show the epidemic is no worse than a common flu, where international numbers and death toll do not register in the media, and therefore these draconian measures to contain the virus with lockdowns, quarantines, and masking are really not justified. The numbers signed on as endorsing all of these measures, according to docs for an open debate, include 900 doctors and health professionals in Belgium, 800 doctors in the Netherlands, and 400 doctors and scientists in Spain. And just last week, we heard that the drug hydroxychloroquine, which was in use in several countries as a mild drug, held considerable advantages over other treatments to date, yet the drug is being suppressed in the United States, Canada, and throughout Europe, causing leading health providers such as Dr. Harvey Risch, professor of epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health, to conclude that over 100,000 people had died that needn't have if hydroxychloroquine was on offer.
One of the principal reasons for eliminating this drug from doctors' medical bags is that there is another solution that, it is hoped, will not only eliminate the threat to people's health represented by COVID-19, it will also make the big pharmaceutical corporations a significant amount of money that hydroxychloroquine and other cheap drugs will not. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, chief of the World Health Organization, during a speech to journalists said that 172 countries will be participating through the COVAX Global Vaccine Facility that they are signing up to distribute 2 billion vaccines by the end of 2021. He also expressed the view that, quote, investing in the COVAX facility is the fastest way to end this pandemic and ensure a sustainable economic recovery, unquote. The WHO, the big pharmaceutical corporations, and Bill Gates seem to be more determined than ever to make this medical breakthrough happen. The potential for brand-named profits to collide with the welfare of men, women, and children around the globe is arguably real enough. Hence, the Global Research News Hour is putting the issue of the COVID-19 vaccine front and center in this week's episode. What are the risks in putting the vaccine, or at least the COVID-19 vaccine, in play as people line up to be cured? We start our program by talking once again to Sushirit Bhakti. As mentioned previously, Dr. Bhakti was chair of medical microbiology at the University of Maine's from 1990 to 2012. He's published over 300 articles in the fields of immunology, bacteriology, virology, and parasitology, for which he has received numerous awards and the Order of Merit of Rhineland Palatinate. And he wrote the recently released book, Corona, False Alarm. I asked him about the mix of positives and negatives in getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Let me say once again, the people who are below 70 with no pre-existing disease will hardly ever die of the virus. So there are about 60 million Germans below 70 and maybe 50, 50 million without pre-existing disease. Now, would these people need a vaccination? My question to them, my question to you, and if they think they need it to reduce the chances of dying to less than 0.01%, well, go ahead and do it, but don't force your children to become vaccinated. Don't go around telling all the younger guys in this country to get vaccinated or you're going to become a danger to us because that is absolutely crazy. If you want to get vaccinated, go ahead, but don't let your politicians say, if you don't get vaccinated, you are going to be a danger to society. Now, the only people who might gain from vaccination are the elderly with pre-existing disease. Because even if you are 80 or 90 and have no pre-existing disease, you are also not particularly endangered. This is something that is true, the truth, and nothing but the truth. We know so many people, 80 years, 90 years, 95 years, who have recovered without any problem from this virus. And it simply is not true that the virus is going to kill all the elderly population. If this were true, the number of deaths would be far, far higher than what we've been seeing. So what can a vaccine do? 
a vaccine can at best raise the level of immunity to reduce the rates of death. And the major way an the vaccination does this is by inducing antibodies in your body and the antibodies will prevent the virus from binding to the cell. This is the major way a vaccine will work or will not work because what people have to realize is that there's a number game in all of this. The number of viruses meeting the number of antibodies is all decisive. So when you are vaccinated, you get antibodies after about two weeks and the antibodies go up, but then they go down again. And uh, these antibodies are measured in the blood, but they do not tell you how much these antibodies are on the airway at epithelium. There are very far fewer there, you know, where the virus comes in. So it's a sort of one-to-one -one game. One antibody may bind one virus. Um, the fact is, I said from the very beginning, forget it. It's, it's bound to fail. There's no way. And if you want to develop a vaccine that you're going to use with people who are already at risk, that vaccine has to be damn well controlled in its development. It's got to go through all the phases uh, of safety control. It's got to be checked and rechecked that it is not going to harm those poor guys who are going to get vaccinated. And this is what is not being done. As we all know, this rush to finish off this vaccine, to be used in the world populace that doesn't need it, and that cannot be used on the elderly with pre-existing illness because it would be much too dangerous. So why don't we just sort of relax a bit and say, guys, listen, this virus is not the big killer. So let's just stop doing all this nonsense. You may go on trying to develop a vaccine, but then do it sensibly in a scientific way and in an ethical way. Then everyone will be okay with everything. Yeah. But there is no need to get excited about this virus. There's no need to do anything special to contain this virus. Nothing more than you have done when the flu wave comes and nothing more that you will do when the next flu wave comes. That was doctor and postgraduate researcher Sushirit Bhakti. Another doctor spoke about vaccines during our previous conversation in part two of the series. Among other things, he mentioned that the vaccine manufacturers in this case obtained a legal waiver in the event that the taker underwent a vaccine-caused injury. We see that the... Um, the, that there is a yearly change of, for example, influenza virus. And this uh, needs every time a change of vaccine because it doesn't work anymore against the changing virus. So it means that if you would give a vaccine, it would only work temporarily and you will need more vaccines. What we find extremely um, yeah, wor worrisome is that um, the manufacturers of vaccine already have a juridical, uh, I don't know how you call it in English. Um, immunity. Immunity. It means that they, can, they are not responsible for 
reactions uh, yeah, with, with people. And the new vaccine that is going to be uh, produced, for example, by Moderna, it's, a, um, it's an RNA vi uh, vaccine. It, it has not been tested on humans. And what we saw when it was tested on, on, on animals, that was ferrets, that those ferrets who got this, that they were much more susceptible to the wild virus than those who didn't get it. Now, um, that uh, means that if you give this to humans, that um, you are using them as guinea pigs. And we know that the time scale when they produce or going to produce this vaccine is, is a fraction of what it should normally be when it should be uh, good tested with uh, yeah, years. Normally it takes five to 10 years. Now they will do it in a year or less. So it means we are very worried about this. And uh, I personally would never give myself a vaccine or, or recommend it to a patient because it is just, I, I just don't see that it is safe. It is not safe. It is yeah. it, it passed. And, and the manufacturers himself, they say they want immunity. They don't take responsibility. I take responsibility for my patients. Uh, I'm not going to give them something, which is a, a test phase. Dr. Meryl Nass spoke on the show last week. She's a general medicine physician, an expert in epidemiology and anthrax, and published on Global Research, among other online publications. Here she talks about what happened during the scare of the last major pandemic dealing with H1N1 and the vaccines to the rescue. In 2009, we had an H1N1 pandemic swine flu, which actually we still have today. So last year, the, the main virus going around for flu was that same swine flu. And um, we have made vaccines against it. And each company, you know, generates its own vaccines. In the case of 2009, one vaccine, which was GlaxoSmithKline's Pandemrix, which was used in Europe, but was not used in Canada or the, exactly the same in Canada and not used in the US, wound up being associated with over 1,300 cases of severe narcolepsy. Narcolepsy sounds like a joke, but if you have a severe case, you, um, if you have, <laughs> Not only can you fall asleep without any warning, but you may be crossing the street, and if you laugh or get upset, you, you lose muscle tone and actually can fall down in the road and get run over by a car. People who developed these conditions, who were primarily adolescents, so primarily teenagers, um, became unable to go to school, to work, etc. And there have been lots of settlements because governments took the liability. So when you develop a vaccine very quickly, generally the manufacturers say, we'll do it, but we're not going to take um, responsibility for this being safe or effective. And so we don't, we're not going to hold the liability. The government will need to, you know, if, if it's decided that people have been harmed, the government has to pay out, not us. And so that was determined in 2009. That's what happened in 1976 when we had um, the uh, Fort Dix um, flu that everybody was so worried about. And 
45 million Americans were vaccinated with a vaccine that was made in about six months. And there were uh, about 400 cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a paralyzing illness. Most improved, um, but there were about 35 deaths. And so there was, so that very rapid attempt to make a vaccine failed in 76. In 2009, the disease turned out to be not really that bad. It was a less severe flu than your average influenza. So we didn't really need the vaccine. And in this group of adolescents in Europe, in those who had a particular, <clears throat> some of those, but a particular gene, they developed severe narcolepsy. What's going to happen now, we, we don't know yet. We may have this antibody-induced enhancement of disease, so it's possible uh, one or more of the COVID vaccines can cause you to have a worse disease when you're exposed. It may be useful. Um, uh, we won't know. And because the clinical trials are going to be completed with only a couple of hundred people in the trials having been exposed to the disease, we probably won't know all the ramifications until after the population, large numbers of, popula of the population have gotten the vaccine. Um, certainly in 2009, it took about a year to, for people to acknowledge that the narcolepsy was, was a consequence of vaccination. And people kept using that vaccine far too long, even after there had been many cases of narcolepsy. So one hopes that isn't going to happen again. Okay, um, maybe one last question. Um, there's uh, an emergency uh, or Emergent Biosciences is the, uh, the the company that's going to put the vaccines into production. There are three, uh, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, and another one. Um, what do we know about emergency biosciences that should be a concern? Okay. The company's actually named Emergent Biosolutions, okay. and, and that's a newish name. They used to be called Bioport, and they changed the name because Bioport had such a bad reputation. Bioport makes all the anthrax vaccine for the United States. And now it also makes most of the smallpox vaccine. Um, it, its vaccines caused thousands of soldiers to become ill in the period between 1998 and 2001. The vaccine lost its license. The FDA stopped uh, any manufacturing at the plant because of a lot of problems. But after the anthrax letters, the company was able to, to restart and do very well. And they're, as a result of in, working with insiders in the federal government and producing sole source products that only the government buys, most of which are stockpiled and never used, they have become from an $18 million company that was purchased in 1998, they're worth $7 billion today. This company, which has never brought a product to market, they've only purchased other companies with their products. Um, they have sold defective anthrax vaccine, defective auto injectors for nerve gas to the State Department, and they are, and a company that hired them to make a ricin vaccine that it had designed has asked for arbitration because the ricin vaccine did not meet its specifications. 
So this is a company that um, has a factory in Baltimore that the government paid them to make, and the government gave them over $600 million to, to retool it at the beginning of the year so that they could make uh, vaccines for COVID. They don't even have a complement of seasoned workers. Last week, they had a job fair in which they wanted to hire 300 employees, most for this Baltimore factory that is going to be making out, uh, three of the major COVID vaccines. So AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, and Novavax all have vaccines that have entered phase three clinical trials, which is the last phase, and are likely to be manufactured. All in the same Baltimore plant where Emergent Biosolutions is trying to hire some staff. Um, it's a very potentially dangerous situation and uh, people should be aware of. It, it's probably not going to say emergent biosolutions on the vial of vaccine. It'll say Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca or Novavax. They're being manufactured by emergent biosolutions. That was physician and epidemiology expert, Dr. Merrill Nass. If you think so far that immunology with this vaccine is still worth the risk, you haven't heard some of the details about what's coming. In our final half hour, my interview with Peter Kinnick. Please stay tuned. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Peter Koenig is an economist and geopolitical analyst based in Geneva, Switzerland. For 30 years, he worked at the World Health Organization and out of the World Bank in the fields of water and the environment. He lectures at universities in the United States, Europe, and Latin America, and he writes for online publications including ICH, New Eastern Outlook, and Global Research. He has written numerous articles on the COVID crisis since it has dominated the press noting the focus that the WHO in particular placed on vaccines. I asked him for a breakdown of what would drive the UN body down an ill-advised road. World Health Organization is, of course, let's put it this way, is highly co-opted, co-opted by the industry. Uh, WHO is nothing but the political apparatus uh, for what many call the deep state. And the political apparatus functions uh, with the budget that the member countries contribute to, except now for the United States, they have dropped out. But this, this lack of uh, contribution will be made up uh, by several times by Bill Gates's contribution. Bill Gates is a, is a huge contributor, maybe up to 20%, sometimes more, sometimes less of the WHO budget. But when uh, you WHO was, uh, I mean, it may have started out all right, and over time, uh, it uh, gradually became co-opted or something like that, like by, by Bill Gates and others? Right. Well, WHO was basically created as a, as a UN agency, but, uh, but prompted by the Rockefellers. You know, the Rockefellers actually, that was the idea by the Rockefellers behind it already in uh, 1944 or so when WHO was created basically as an appendix, but then it took over as appendix to the Pan-American Health Organization, 
which is much, much older. It dates back to the early uh, 1900s. And WHO then uh, became the World Health Organization, but was always uh, dependent on uh, industrial inputs. Only, and only until recently, actually, most of the people didn't know that. But, but today, already in the 80s and early 90s, when I used to work for WHO, the, the budget was made up by about four times, the regular budget comes from the contributions, by about four times the regular budget, three or four times, depending on the year, from contributions, we call them extra budgetary funding uh, from uh, mostly pharmaceuticals and other interested industries. Of course, they would not uh, finance directly because that would be conflict of interest, but they go through NGOs, they go through other government channels and so on. But that's the extent of it. And Bill Gates has been uh, a donor for many, many years, uh, direct donor for uh, WHO. Bill Gates is also responsible for Dr. Tedros being uh, the head of WHO today, because Tedros was earlier, he was the so-called so president or CEO of Gavi. Gavi is uh, the uh, vaccination alliance that was also created by uh, Bill Gates around the year 2000, and it's established a coincidence in Geneva where WHO is located. So you can just about imagine what's going on behind the scenes. And I mean, behind these are the, the, the whales that uh, should uh, hide what's going on to the big public is getting thinner and thinner and, and, and the messages of truth are coming out. So WHO is in my opinion, no longer to be trusted, especially not as far as vaccines are concerned and especially not those vaccines that Bill Gates is involved in. Because WHO has had many lawsuits uh, on Bill Gates' vaccines, not with COVID, not yet, because that's not out yet, but with polio, for example, and, and with others in India, in uh, Kenya, in, uh, uh, in the Philippines, I think. So a number of countries have actually attacked and sued WHO, had to, of course, WHO is difficult to sue. It's an international organization. It's protected uh, with the immunity of a UN agency. But they had to apologize. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, the WHO is not to be trusted, especially not now with COVID. But there are so many scientists out now. Uh, more and more scientists come out of what I call come out of the closet and, uh, and, and, and tell the truth about what COVID is and that there's really no need uh, for a vaccination, that this whole uh, thing is overblown anyway, that it's basically a hoax to, uh, to deal a big, big bonanza to, to, the, to big pharma. And not only that, I mean, COVID is used as an instrument for a much, much broader agenda by, by the deep stake. No. It's, a, it's a very, very convenient uh, actually very smart, very well thought about uh, an invisible enemy, a virus that is nothing more uh, or hardly anything more than a, an influenza, regular influenza uh, virus. So which the, World Health, the World Health Organization then, is it more uh, of a kind of a Western-oriented environment? Because, I mean, the big pharmaceutical companies and, and Bill Gates and so on, with, with them being the major... Uh, 
providers of funding, are we then getting a, a kind of a, a Western-oriented uh, endemic or uh, plan coming out of it? Well, yes, definitely, yes, clearly, yes, because uh, Gavi is basically consists of uh, of Western pharmaceuticals. You know, this this is uh, this is this is not a secret. Mm. One of them, uh, uh, one of the important one is GlaxoSmithKline. Glaxo you know, he's a key player in Gavi, and so is Moderna, which is uh, which is uh, created by Bill Gates, and this actually has their headquarters and their offices. Uh, a few miles away from uh, from Microsoft, and uh, and and so on. So you know this whole thing is uh, is so much uh, controlled by big capital, by big pharma, and by Gates. I mean, Gates has initially uh, spent seven hundred and fifty million to set up Gavi, and that was in nineteen ninety nine. So actually, it became functionable, I think, in around the year two thousand. So it's about twenty years old this organization, which is called Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization. Uh, and it's sitting in Geneva. It's sitting basically next door to WHO. You can just imagine uh, who makes the policies of WHO with the, now the director general of, uh, uh, of WHO being the former uh, CEO of Gavi. Yeah, and, and he's not even an actual doctor, as a, as a matter of fact. That's right. He's not even a medical doctor. It's the first time in history that WHO doesn't have a medical doctor uh, as their uh, uh, as their uh, director general. So what do you see as the problems with the, the vaccines themselves? I mean, what are they uh, are they doing something more to our bodies than uh, maybe they did years and years ago? Well, uh, let's uh, let's first say there's no need for a vaccine. You know, having said that, there's absolutely no need, and uh, there are lots of uh, very good treatments. China got rid of uh, COVID uh, not with a vaccine, but by all sorts of treatments, in, in including with uh, with with uh, uh, what do they call it? A hydro uh, hydrochloroquine. Uh, which is known for 60 years. It's a medication that uh, is very well known for uh, against malaria, and it is it can it is very effective. Can be used very effectively. Maybe it has to be used under supervision, medical supervision. But then there is another one which was developed about 30 years ago already, interferon alpha 2b, which is a Cuban developed. And uh, as we know by now, Cuba and China work together on this, and they are now producing a lot of uh, joint, they have a joint venture in producing medication, and I think also a vaccination, uh, a vaccine. Now, my question would be, uh, first of all, uh, why does Russia, China, and Cuba uh, develop a, a vaccine if we know that the vaccine is not needed? Maybe just to... Uh, compete with the rest? I don't know. But for me, this is a big question because a vaccine is absolutely not needed. And particularly, and this is answering maybe, or coming close to answer your question, uh, what's wrong with the vaccine? A lot is wrong with the vaccine. First of all, the serious vaccines uh, have to be tested about 15 or 20 years uh, before they can really be, a, be applied. This vaccine is not going to be tested, not even a year. You know, it's going to be uh, on the market probably before the end of the year, at the beginning of next year. 
and without really testing. Now, what they have said uh, is that they will produce a vaccine which is uh, based on uh, RNA DNA modification. In other words, when you get a vaccine, it will modify your DNA. Your, your genome will be modified by this vaccine. If you get one of Moderna, that's the only thing they do. And GlaxoClein probably too. And there are others. I mean, WHO has already months ago announced that there will be about 40 different companies that produce vaccines. I don't know them by heart. Uh, and it's not necessary, but most of them are just competing with, with each other and, uh, and want to produce a vaccine that rapidly comes, comes to the market. The problem with this uh, RNA, uh, DNA modifying uh, vaccine is that once it modifies the human genome, it cannot be changed anymore. You know, it, it can have lots of effects. We don't know, it hasn't even been tested on animals. It hasn't been tested. Moderna has been tested uh, apparently on about, uh, uh, I think about 40 or 60 volunteers. And all of them, and there's a, there was a report on, on American TV, uh, CNBC, I believe it was, that interviewed Bill Gates on it. And the, the, the result was disastrous. All, all 40 or 60, I forgot the exact number of the, the test, uh, people, they were very strong men, apparently healthy and strong men, they got sick. Some of them got so sick, they had to be hospitalized for, for a while. So, and now they're going to be uh, more, maybe 4,000 volunteers are going to be tested uh, with, this, uh, with this Moderna uh, genome-modifying uh, vaccine. Yeah. It's a disaster. I mean, if this is going to be put into human body and of course, governments don't tell you that because uh, they don't want you to know and to be scared. They don't want you to, they, they want you to scream, I want a vaccine, I want a vaccine. And this is, this is what's going to happen. With, uh, I mean, I mean okay, Moderna, that's the, uh, the, uh, the, the, va the vaccine, vaccination uh, facility that, that Bill Gates uh, runs, right? I mean, that's in, located in Seattle. Um, and you talk about this... Uh, really shocking uh, level of, of DNA modification as part of the vaccine. I, I think that's really shocking news uh, to, to everyone. I mean, is, is there more meat to this? I mean, we're, like how long have they been modifying DNA? And, and then when was this uh, uh, mechanism developed? Well, the mechanism was probably already developed years ago by, uh, by uh, uh, a Pentagon agency. And, and, and now, but it hasn't been really developed. It was investigated and it was, it was ready to be further developed. Now, uh, I've just read today by Scientific America, uh, Scientific American says, quote, I quoted, uh, to quickly create the potential vaccine against COVID-19, researchers are using genetic engineering rather than traditional methods, which can take years. And genetic engineering is apparently much, much quicker. So three different techniques based on DNA and RNA molecules are speeding to human trials. But whether they will work or can be scaled up to millions of doses is unclear. And this is an understatement, whether they will work. Of course, if they don't work, then you may have millions of people getting sick or dying from the vaccine alone. And if they get sick, you know, they may pass on because sick means 
their genome is altered forever. It can never be changed back. Uh, it is like a, a miscarriage, you know, it's, it's like a, a, a child that uh, has, is born with a, with, with a defective genome. And this can be passed on for generation, this def defect, if there is indeed a defect uh, in, 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 in people as a side effect of the DNA. So this has not been tested. We don't know what will happen. And even if the 4,000 get away more or less uh, well, uh, it, is, it, is, it is a disaster. And even Gates has admitted that maybe 1% of the people, if he wants to imagine how many millions there are, if he wants to vaccinate 7 billion people, and if 1% uh, will get sick or may die from it, that's quite a number of people. I mean, this is unbelievable that we just accept something like that. And of course, we accept it because we don't know. We don't know whether the media don't tell us about it, the governments don't tell us about it, because the governments are all co-opted with, uh, with this elite club, with this criminal people who have launched upon us uh, COVID-19. with us what you know about ID2020. I mean, who, who designed it and, and what does it do once it enters the body? Right. Uh, who designed it? Again, uh, the, the name Bill Gates, again, is on, on top. He created ID2020. ID2020 is basically, you know, ID2020 uh, was an idea that came up and was then introduced, I think, in a meeting in May uh, 2016 into the into the so-called sustainable development goals. You know, this is as the agenda uh, 20, uh, 2021, the UN agenda 2021 and 2030. And 2030 is is actually the deadline, and that's why it's uh, it's called agenda 2030. It's the deadline for for this decade decade long modification of society to be implemented. So with the next 10 years, if we people don't stop this right now, uh, before it is too late, then we go through a hell of a time during the next 10 years. And what the ID 2020 means actually is they had a meeting at the UN to introduce, it, I believe it is uh, the uh, su sustainable development goal number 16 which has to do with, uh, with legality, with legal access for everybody. So that was introduced as a side, uh, as a, a sub goal of this development goal, which means that everybody uh, has the right for an, uh, an electronic or a digital identity. You know, This is what's gonna happen. Where in, and there are trials on the way right now in Bangladesh, with school kids in Bangladesh. I don't know whether in, all, in other countries too, but that's what Bill Gates usually does. He goes to poor countries, maybe to remote uh, districts that are not so visible than if he would do it in a city, and, uh, and starts uh, vaccinating people, and most likely vaccinating them with some kind of a, of a nano chip. It could be in the form of, uh, 
of a, of a liquid gel, which, which then distributes itself throughout the body and can, of course, number one, uh, that's, the, that's the, the official idea, uh, become an identity of, of the child or of the, of the person who gets the vaccine, and we will be next. We, the people, will be next if we don't pay attention to it. And, and then it can be with, the, we have now also at the same time, we have 5G being put upon us. And with this strength of electromagnetic field, we can be loaded and we can be manipulated with these, uh, with the, with, with these, with these nano chips being inserted through a vaccine. And that's the goal. You eventually. Could you give us an example of how the 5G, uh, you know, internet, uh, you know, Wi-Fi uh, business will interfere with the chips in your body? Well, this is different. This is a, it's a, it's a parallel function. You know, they say uh, 5G is needed uh, for uh, artificial intelligence and to make your computer faster, to make you uh, uh, play faster and so on and so on. That's all BS. You know, the real reason behind uh, 5G and 6G is already being developed by the Chinese, by the way. Uh, which is uh, which is even stronger. We don't know much about it yet, but 5G is enough uh, to to run algorithms, and algorithms are nothing else but artificial intelligence. You know, and algorithms runs uh, runs already all the TV programs basically, and all especially the social platforms and the social media, which then manipulate you. They know exactly what are you watching, uh, what are your opinions. They have, I've read at one point uh, by the social media actually, that they have at one point 35,000 points about your characteristics that maybe not even you know about, they know. And so they can, with algorithms, it's easily possible. It's with algorithms that these multi-billionaires make their billions uh, thanks to the COVID destruction of the economy. And, and, and so we are already basically the victims of, uh, of, of uh, artificial intelligence through algorithms, which is possible by 5G. And this playing into, so you, you see where I'm getting at, COVID is just an instrument to a much higher agenda, you know, to a deeper agenda, which means controlling the world population. And, 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 and among those, uh, we have people who are eugenics masters who would like to reduce the world population. Gates is one of them, uh, so that uh, the world can live longer with the with the non-renewable non-renewable resources. That's the simplest. Well, yeah. Well, what about the? I mean, first of all, I mean, there's a question as to whether the vaccines are going to be mandatory or if you might have an option. I think knowing these things. I could see where a lot of people would say, no, thank you. So how can the public event, how can they be compelled to take the vaccine uh, regardless of the consequence? Right, that's a, right, exactly, you're right. I mean, constitutionally, I think that every country uh, has a constitution which, or most countries have a constitution which would not allow the governments to force upon you a vaccine like, uh, you know, a health measure. But there are other ways of, uh, of forcing you. And I, I just read not too long ago that uh, in the US about 
only, I think, uh, 54% of the people or 55% of the people would not take a vaccine even if they were paid $100, you know, something like that. That was the inquiry. That means there's quite a lot of people who are against these, these uh, COVID-19 vaccines. They're suspicious. They know it's not being tested. They know that we don't know what the side effects will be, what the result will be, and so on. So this gives me hope that the, that the government cannot crack down if the 55% stick together. But of course, measures that they will take is say, okay, you don't have a vaccine certificate. That's what Gates wants, that everybody has a vaccination certificate. And you can control that through the, the nano chips that have that you have in your body, you know. Uh, so if you don't have a vaccination certificate, you cannot fly, you cannot go to concerts, you cannot go to the movie. And some people suggest you cannot even go into a grocery store to buy grocery. So, you know, where does that lead? I don't believe in it. I believe we are stronger. I believe human beings are much, much stronger. We will not allow that. And, uh, and those... Uh, those alternative media who talk about it uh, in order to warn us and maybe some of them are co-opted to scare us even further because you know fear is their instrument because people who are afraid and full of fear their immune system falls drastically this is proven by medicine and by psychology uh, and so they're much more vulnerable not only to COVID-19 but to all sorts of other diseases and to the of you know, back uh, about 10 years ago, they had a, an, another outbreak, the, the H1N1 uh, vaccine, and, or not a vaccine, but there the, was an outbreak of this disease and some people actually did die from it. Uh, but uh, they were developing a vaccine, but then when the day came and it was available, few people wanted it because the, it was just, uh, you know, they'd already developed an immunity. So, exactly. I mean... What what are you, what is your thinking about this time? I mean, because we have a different uh, situation, the the lockdowns and so on. Will we will this be uh, successful, or have they kind of learned the way in which you're going to uh, enforce it on people, where they're saying, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme? You know? Exactly, a very good point. Uh, you know, this uh, H1N1. Uh, was, uh, was, of course, you know, as you said, there was a vaccine developed and countries were forced to buy millions of millions uh, of doses. For example, France, I bought, they, they bought, I don't know, 60 million or 70 million or more, or more doses, which were not used. You know, they spent all that money and the bonanza was for the pharma industry. And also Switzerland bought a lot, all at the recommendation of WHO. And eventually these vaccines were not used. Some of the countries, I think France was one of them, sent them to Africa as development assistance. Can you imagine that? A vaccine that is useless, sending it to somewhere else where it cannot be used as development assistance, but that's on the parenthesis. But now, in order to prevent this from happening, they say, and this is very controversial because, of course, uh, normally uh, we have the capacity to develop our own immune system, you know, we human beings. And uh, we, we call that, uh, med medicine calls it herd immunity. Now, with uh, what most countries have, especially Sweden, which did not follow uh, the strict lockdown and uh, they got away much, much better, they have developed herd immunity. That means, I think, when between 17 and 20% of the population uh, are 
test positive, in other words, have the virus. They don't even have to be sick. You know, they just have the virus. They develop an immunity. And the percentage which, uh, which makes actually uh, the equilibrium, the herd immunity, when there are no more infections is about between 17 and 20%. This, this, comes, out, uh, this comes out of science and in Sweden, it's exactly that. And of course, there was a study done, I think in early months of this year, February maybe, February or March already, by, uh, by Oxford, a study which was never published. And this Oxford study said, it's maybe still available on internet or has been uh, taken off. But I remember having, having read it and having read about it. This study said that they believe that probably up to 70% of uh, British citizens uh, have already are in the process of acquiring immunity through simply being uh, infected without, uh, without, without uh, symptoms, you know, they're asymptomatic. Uh, and then they have immunity. This will be herd immunity. And therefore, there's, there's no need for a lockdown. This was an Oxford study. So I would imagine it was scientific. It was never published. Of course, it was trashed. It was, uh, it, it was not according to the agenda that is behind this whole thing. And, uh, but I, I strongly believe it, uh, that we develop an immunity, a natural immunity, as we do for the flu. You know, I've never been vaccinated for the flu, and I'm, I don't have the flu normally. Uh, sometimes I get a cold in the winter, but that's, you know, that everybody has a cold ever so often, and it goes away. Maybe I was lucky not having the flu. But even if you have the flu, it takes a person who is normally healthy, it takes about a week or 10 days and it's gone. And then you are immune for the rest of the winter and, and very often for the, for, the, for the next flu season too. It, it depends a little bit, but there's absolutely no need to have a vaccine for this because we could, we could be immune uh, as, the, as medical science says, herd immunity. That was my conversation with noted economist and geopolitical analyst, Peter Koenig. Mr. Koenig is also a research associate of the Center for Research on Globalization. That's it for this chapter of the show. Next week, we investigate what the COVID-19 crisis means for the sake of our economics, our society, and the future of our world. Be sure to join us for Coronavirus, A Second Look, Part 5. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can hear our program every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. You can also download our show at the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been your host and producer, Michael Welch. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>